0: Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Brownstein policy directors Kate McCannless and Drew Littman, with of counsel Peter Goodlow and policy advisor Laura Johnson, join strategic advisor Senator Mark Begich for a discussion on where we're at now with the health care bill. With a game time decision coming up in the Senate, the group debates if the repeal vote will pass and what happens if it fails as well as the influence of Medicaid cuts and upcoming subsidy payments.
1: I'm joined this morning with Kate McCandless. Uh, Kate is Policy Director, leads the Brownstein Healthcare Practice Group, and is a seasoned veteran in the healthcare issues. She has represented numerous healthcare corporations and trade associations before Congress and executive branch agencies, including FDA, CMMSS, and the VA. Drew Libman, policy director, brings a long history of working in both private and public sectors to the firm's Washington, D.C. government relations team. From 2009 to 2011, Drew served as Senator Al Franken's chief of staff, where he had led a staff of more than 30 and spearheaded all legislation, policy, and press initiatives. He spent the first eight years of his career in the office of Senator Barbara Boxer, four of those years as policy director. Pete Goodlow of Council, who brings 23 years experience of developing policy and legislation as an attorney for the U.S. House of Representatives. In the House, he was with the Office of Legislative Counsel for many years and also spent time with the House Energy and Commerce Committee. And Laura Johnson. Policy advisor. Laura is a well practiced on issues including early and secondary education, healthcare, and labor. Laura works directly with clients to navigate these complex issues on Capitol Hill, track legislative issues, and craft strategies for federal healthcare programs and policies. So it's good to have you all here, and it's uh, four of us here today. So let me first uh, try to ask the question which is where are we in healthcare? I mean last week uh the uh bill didn't have enough votes to move forward. Now there's a vote coming up on repeal which There's not enough votes for repeal. At least it seems that way. Then there was a meeting recently that uh, members are trying to figure out, can they move forward? The White House is now engaged. Um, I guess the big question is, what next? Is it real? Kate, maybe you could add to this, and then let's open up for a little discussion of kind of what's the next step. What what can first our clients be? I mean, I can only imagine the conversations you're having with our clients of uh, somewhat confusion. Where do they need to go? What what what's the right approach? Uh, that is the question of the day.
2: Sure. So, your first question, uh, I think, is the most appropriate one, and that is, where are we? Well, we are uh, right here on July twentieth. We are exactly six months into President Trump's presidency, so mm-hmm. that's where we are. Uh, <laughs> we probably are currently where we should have been, you know, four or five months ago. Uh, uh-huh. We are we are a lot more. Uh, educated about the potential for uh repeal. We now know what it would do. Uh we hear and CBO
1: came out with a big number. Big number. Right? Thirty some um, million wouldn't be covered and a hundred percent Increase,
2: yes. So which no one wants that. <laughs> no one wants Not that. Not even I mean, the Republicans, no one. <laughs> no, no one. No one wants that to be the outcome. I mean, I think there are some, there are some questions now uh, from the Republican side of the aisle about those numbers and, and what uh, really constitutes coverage. I think CBO is making some determinations on what coverage is uh, that, that may, uh, people may take issue with. But, you know, overall, I think that we are th- – this is a process – uh, and we are in the the part of the process now where people start to calm down and really stop reacting and start thinking uh, in hopefully a more mature way. So my my counsel to my clients at this point is, you know, everything that you hear moving forward, treat it very seriously, because what's getting ready to happen next week, if everything goes as we've been told it's going to go and Senator McConnell is going to hold some sort of a vote, is now these senators who have said that they are not uh, in favor of a particular part of the legislation or the legislation as a whole or even moving for forward on debate on the legislation are going to be forced... To take a vote on that and forced to go on record, and you know, in the House they voted, you know, fifty sometimes to repeal Obamacare, and uh, so many of them didn't have much to lose, quite frankly, uh, when when they voted again to repeal Obamacare. I think it
1: was fifty-seven times.
2: Fifty-seven times. So, but but in the Senate that's not the case. Uh, you know, the Senate really only has that one recorded vote. Um, you know, the the twenty fifteen uh, uh, right. repeal vote and. The reality, though, is, and I think that we're going to see this politically, um, everyone who's in the Senate now with the exception of, um, you know, Susan Collins and and maybe some of these more recent additions, but certainly most of the holdouts, uh, they already have a vote on their record Mm -hmm. to repeal Obamacare. And in fact, it's the repeal that you just mentioned, that CBO says that 32 million people uh, will, will, additional people will be uninsured. So they already have that on their record. And they're going to be now faced with uh, with that and, and having to, to really own up to that. And I think that's where we are.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. I'll, I'll say this and maybe Drew, Peter, Laura can add in. And that is, um, you know, you think about it, they had, you know, 57 practices. Now it's game time. And uh, this Counts. And, uh, even the repeal in 2015, what people care about is always at the end of the day, what do you do? And, uh, this is the great discussion. And I guess there's a, in, within the Republican caucus, there's a friction between the, we don't want anything. Two, we want, um, you know, we want to make sure that uh, there is protection for certain groups and populations. And, you know, we have the Medicaid protectors, we have the Planned Parenthood protectors, we have some that don't like some of the taxes because they unfairly, in some minds, treat certain people the wrong way. Then you have the kind of repealers that say, government shouldn't be in, in this business at all. Why are we doing this? Get rid of it all. And that is a conflict. And when you have a two-vote margin now with the health issue of Senator McCain, that margin even becomes more challenging, you might say. So, uh, you know, Peter, Drew, others who want to chime in?
0: Yeah. Thank you, Senator. I think, of course, we're all praying for Senator McCain. And it's um, um, a grim fact that his absence changes the the vote count, I think, in obvious ways. <laughs> But I think I want to return to something that that Kate mentioned about the senators being on record having voted actually already to repeal the Affordable Care Act. One of the things that hasn't been, I think, adequately noted is that somewhere along the line— This shifted from a conversation about repealing the Affordable Care Act to a conversation about repealing or shrinking Medicaid. Mm -hmm. And that's not something they were on the record for, and that, I think, is where the real danger is for a lot of these senators. It's the $800 billion Medicaid cut. If you look at some of these swing senators, they come from states, Rob Portman of Ohio, third highest opioid overdose rate. Um, Susan Collins of Maine, highest average age for her population. Dean Heller from Nevada, 65% of the births in Nevada, two-thirds of the births, are Medicaid-funded. So this creates a new set of challenges, very dire challenges for them and and reflects, I think, the Paul Ryan agenda that I'm not sure all these senators signed up for more than it does a, a Trump agenda. because Trump, at least initially, was not seeking to change Medicaid at all. In fact, he was guaranteeing it wouldn't be
1: changed. Right. But it's a cash issue, right? Because there's a lot of money in that. I know in Alaska, with Senator Murkowski, you have 130,000 Alaskans receiving Medicaid out of an 800,000 population. Right, It's pretty significant. And of that, 40% are Alaska Native community. So, it, the pressures are different right now. Uh, Peter, Laura, any additional thought on that? Laura, is, you know... <laughs> (laughs) It's always to me healthcare is like a never ending opportunity for us at podcast here, Uh, the Brownstein (laughs) Podcast. We could just do shows on that and elements of it, but you know these tax provisions now they add, you know, great debate is you know there's a lot of money tied up in those tax provisions and kind of out of the corner of some people's minds is we got tax reform down the road, but this is a big part of the equation of how do you solve some of this issue in money and keep these costs down. Any any feeling on that and, and thoughts of what, what, at the end of the day, do you think a bill that comes out will preserve uh, the way those taxes are today, or will they give up on some of those?
3: Well, let me return to the, sort of the overall issue of where are we now, because it's actually a little hard to keep up with. For, for example... When, when we
1: finish this podcast, it could be different. Well, when the
3: president walked out of a meeting uh, last week, uh, they discovered the meeting was irrelevant because t- two more people were against that week's bill. Right. But uh, the, one of the stories floating around today is CBO may come out with a score. And you may go, well, they already did. It was $32 million. But the, the score that CBO may come out with today is the Is the score on the bill that they were putting together over the july fourth recess right. The, right. The, the, the bill to fix everything where all of a sudden uh, on the tax question uh, uh, maybe some taxes Obamacare taxes would not be repealed because actually we we need the money to try to do the the, the good things we 're doing to try to entice the moderates right, onto, right. on on to protect this. Medicaid and
1: lower Premium costs or a stabilized premium
3: costs exactly, and there are other sweeteners that were you know op- opioid funding right. you know, and, and so forth, uh, but uh, but it didn't work. All of a sudden, there are four people opposed, right. and, and and that's when uh, Senator McCain was you know, still here, and and so the the CBO score about 32 million people losing coverage. That, that's really an old number; it goes back to 2015. So McConnell's Plan B was, hey, we all voted on this in 2000. Mm-hmm. Fifteen, even though it was 32 million people losing coverage, because it was politics then and no accountability. And that's why everything is different. And somebody who voted one way in 2015 will have to vote differently now, perhaps because they're facing reality. Well, back in uh, our last podcast, I believe it was around June 23rd, we were uh, discussing specific known senators who had issues. And I said, for me, that wasn't the full story, because this all comes down to the accountability of taking a vote that you know is going to take away coverage for millions of Americans. And uh, for a lot of people, you just don't know uh, how you're going to respond until the moment of truth comes. Right. And since that last podcast, we've heard names— uh, that nobody expected to hear, like Moran and Hoven, and and, right. and there could be other people uh, that that, that ha- have concerns and we just just haven't heard. And you know this big meeting last night, you know, front page of the you know the post today, and in all the the news feeds. Uh, online. Uh, that that was 20 senators. Uh, and uh, Paul wasn't in that meeting. Uh, Collins wasn't in that meeting. So I think just that the fundamental shift where you take the point of where you take that vote and, and remove coverage for all these people, that's the, the that's the truth that's not going to go away. The game day is
1: here. More?
2: Well, and I think one of the interesting fallouts from the implosion of the Republican bill is what the administration is going to do on the cost sharing reduction subsidies. They announced yesterday that they intend to pay out the the July subsidies to insurers who have filed essentially two different rates with the states: one if they have the subsidies, and one without. And so, you know, the there's been a lack of clarity. Um, from senior folks in the administration and from uh, leadership in Congress about what they intend to do moving forward on these subsidies, because if they don't pay them going forward, that's an easy way to, for the markets to collapse and for Trump to keep true to his promise that he wants to let Obamacare fail. But I also think that, um, and, and I agree with Laura, I think that that is a a pretty substantial part of the narrative here that the administration is intending to move forward to make these payments, but uh, separating out the administration and its activities uh, from from the Senate and its process, you know I believe that Republican Senators fully intend to continue to find a way to make those payments i don 't think that there is a single Republican senator uh, who who honestly thinks that allowing people to have their health care stripped away from them is is what they are they are doing. Even in the legislation that has been, you know, widely panned as as taking coverage away from millions of Americans, I think that Republican senators believe that there's an opportunity here to replace those individuals into an individual private marketplace where they would get different and perhaps better health care. That's how they go about voting for this piece of legislation.
1: Let me give it let's give a crystal ball here. Let's say- Say uh, the repeal vote goes up, but it fails, then um, both Democrats and Republicans are trying to figure out what next, would there be an opening for just a simple, for now, a simple um, issue uh, around healthcare to stabilize the markets? In other words, maybe that's the single shot, but in order to get there, they have to get through this repeal vote So then McConnell has the freedom to say, look, we're first going to stabilize the markets and then down the road, which maybe never, right, could be, that we'll deal with Medicaid, we'll deal with mandates, we'll deal with all that other stuff, but we got to stabilize the markets because if you look at the clock... As Laura just said, I mean, states are about to announce in the next 30 days or 60 in some cases what those new rates will be. So when they have open season this fall for people to apply for their health care coverage through the exchange and otherwise, uh, they have a stabilized system. And right now, state insurance agencies are nervous because they're not sure which one to approve. Is that maybe if the repeal goes down... That that's the single shot, that's the compromise, that's the thing that I've heard from some Democratic senators that that's what they're interested in right now to figure out.
0: I think one thing that really matters here is is a personality more than substance, and that's that you could visualize Senator Lamar Alexander of Tennessee – who chairs the HELP Committee, as a person who brings people together. He's trusted on both sides. He's substantive, and and I'm sure you have a view on this, Senator. He was a governor and, as such, was used to dealing with Democrats and Republicans getting people together in a room to move legislation, not because he necessarily didn't have the votes as a Republican, but he knows it's easier to legitimize, enforce, implement legislation if you've got buy-in from both sides. So, So I think Senator Alexander... If there is a deal to be cut, is uniquely positioned to be the person who cuts it.
1: Could he have signaled that by what he said, I think it was last night or night before, that you know, the committee will start having some yes. hearings? And it wasn't in detail, but it was almost like he's sending a little signal out there saying, I'm ready to engage now, even though technically, as you know, it's the finance committee. Right. People, people, the general public doesn't see that. uh,
0: and And this isn't a criticism, of course, of anyone on the finance committee. It's just this is closer to Alexander's sweet spot, I believe. And stylistically, it was interesting that he was the person making what we recognize as a process statement that's not at all substantive. It's not get rid of this, vote for this, vote for that, this works, this doesn't. It's let's all get together and, and sit down. And it's easier rather than have meetings, which is how the Republicans were doing this originally. It's easier actually if you have witnesses testifying at a hearing so that you're not fighting. These and ours aren't fighting with each other across the table. Maybe they're triangulating a witness to fight. <laughs> but that still it makes it less personal. Right. Um, and it means that you're bringing some expertise into the room so people have a baseline understanding of what's cover. really happening. And cover. And cover.
2: And I think you're right there. I think that from a policy perspective, that is the appropriate way to move forward. And I think that Lamar Alexander has signaled that he is willing to sort of take the lead on this. And there perhaps is even a legislative vehicle on which to do so because we do have to reauthorize the Children's Health Insurance Program, the CHIP program. Because that's and so, in
1: a few months, right? Yes.
2: And so, so there is an opportunity to have things ride along with CHIP that I think could, could stabilize the individual marketplace and get people to a more comfortable place. But I have to take the opposite position on this question, and that is, you know, if, if I am a, a base Republican voter and I have sent Republicans to the Senate to repeal Obamacare every year for the last seven years, and they choose to, instead of repealing it, actually stabilizing it and making it better— where am i going to go and i i say this uh, you know as being from a a very Rural state, uh, a red state from North Carolina. Uh, you know, I hear frequently from my friends and family, and reading their their, their comments <laughs> and their Facebook pages, Facebook. <laughs> that this is exactly how they feel, and they are mm-hmm. done with the Republican Party if they don't move forward and repeal Obamacare. And I think there is a real political risk for a lot of Republicans. Morning Consult did a uh, a poll a couple of weeks ago that showed that Republican senators from expansion states have seen their uh, approval ratings sliding in the last six months, uh, you know, three, six points in some cases. So, you know, the, people are ready for this to happen.
1: L- let me ask a question of odds from the four of you. I'm a, a little bit of a tournament poker player, so I'll ask some odd playing here. Uh, repeal vote goes up. Does it pass? Kate?
2: I think if I'm they... i optimistic. Kate. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think That's... if if they have the votes on the motion to proceed, then yes, it does.
0: I agree with that.
1: Do people agree with that one? Yeah. Yes. If they motion to proceed, then they're good to go. Yes. I think in terms of avoiding
0: political controversy, senators at this point would like to vote on the motion to proceed the way they're going to vote on the underlying bill, because otherwise they wind up in the trap Kate uh, described, you know, the John Kerry I was for before I was again, or vice versa. Right. It, it, it's already gotten too
1: complicated. And I've heard well, from, from within the Republican caucus that McConnell has said, if you're going to vote for a motion to proceed, then you must vote the same.
2: And I think it's really important to that note that you cannot
1: to, do a split
2: to go back to the, the initial part of our conversation. You know, many of these senators are already politically tied to this bill. They you, are politically you're such an tied to repeal. I, I like
1: to say one thing in politics is the consistency of it being inconsistent. And so <laughs> they're, they're, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I think it's going to be interesting. I think that this this vote now, again, next week, that vote may be pulled. Because they now have a new plan of reform, replace, whatever, whatever the R word is they're going to use that week. Um, but, you know, that may change. But the repeal is, I mean, it's a it's it's as I like to say again, it's game day. You are going to make a decision. And if you think of your Republican base, this is the game. It, all the rest is, you know, practice and other things. But if you vote for repeal. Your base, your hardcore base, is going to appreciate that if you're a Republican. If you vote against it, I agree with you, Kate, that you end up in this situation of the hardcore base that's been with you saying you're no different than fill-in-the-blank, right? So they have a a, a challenge. But on on the flip side, you have this fundamental policy issue. If you vote just straight repeal, then you do kick 32 million people potentially off of health care and increased rates. So there's a policy versus politics, which is the classic battle in in Washington, right? You know, good policy usually is good politics. But when they have a split like this, there's a no winner. And and at the end of the day, everyone takes a lot of pain if they don't figure this out. Well, it's
3: very very difficult because uh, the, I think, calmer Republican heads on the Hill know that uh, – if nothing happens, the market is going to continue to deteriorate, and ultimately, uh, Republicans are going to be held responsible. And I think most Republicans on the Hill disagree with the with the president that uh, you can just let it collapse, and and, and and Democrats will get blamed. So, so let's say uh, you're thinking, okay, I've made this commitment to my base, so I have to vote for for repeal. But what happens to the market when that bill? Passes, and it's, there's no replacing it. It's just you know everything's gone, including the Medicaid expansion. And then that goes to the House, and they pass it because they so, will pass it. So what happens? So what happens to the markets? And, and so work your way back to the motion to proceed. Either you're thinking you're thinking is I have to survive politically, and what kind of primary challenge am I going to get if I vote this way versus that way? Or are you voting totally from uh, your heart about what you think is the right policy? If if you're a senator who believes that this bill should not be law, then uh, you shouldn't vote for the motion to proceed because you're you're very much opening up the possibility it will become law if if uh, if you vote yes on the motion to proceed.
0: Worth noting, I think, that only nine Republican senators are up in the 2018 cycle, which is an anomaly. So if there was ever a time for them to take some risk— This is it. This is it. Ninety-one of them—I mean, uh, not ninety-one of them, but— 43 of them, right, don't have to run for re-election at all in this cycle. So they should have a comfort level if this was a cycle to take a tough vote. I mean, historically, this is a cycle in which to take a tough vote. And in my view, I have a less sanguine view, though, from the Democrats' point of view in terms of blame, um, having been at HHS for the last year of the Obama administration. I would worry that if the markets fail, voters, substantial proportion of voters will blame the Democrats. They'll just say this was inevitable. With Obamacare, we were sold a bill of goods. And whatever happens, it won't be 100% of people voting, uh, blaming Republicans or 100% blaming Democrats. It's probably going to break down roughly evenly and people are going to, Lots of people are going to wind up shouldering blame. As Maybe I would that they say, deserve
1: on this issue. There is a lot of blame to go around, and everyone's going to. F- I think this is the point, and I think Kate, you said it with some of the folks as you say on Facebook and others, and I see them too that just are are kind of frustrated with politics in Washington, right? They they All they see is kind of the same old stuff kind of churning and burning no matter who's in charge. This may crystallize that even more for a voter to say the single biggest issue in the mind of some, a voter, that they're incapable of solving these problems, which are complex. They're not simple. But the voter sees it. Well, you said, get rid of it. You get rid of it. Life will be better. You said, add it. Everything will be better. Neither will happen now. And so there might be this kind of total backlash that you have voters who say, I'm done. You know, there's been some special elections around the country. And if you look at turnout rates in some of those, they're they're somewhat low. And, And maybe there's a backlash that comes in the 18 elections where people say, I'm just done with these guys. And maybe not vote for either or stay out of politics or decide to do what they did in the presidential race. You had some districts that were 20 points Obama and 12 positive, and then they flipped 20 points Trump this cycle. You may suddenly see this again ricochet, and you kind of look around and say, you know, no one's really safe anymore in the day of politics of today.
2: No, I think that's right. I mean, the, the one thing we haven't really talked about a lot today is, you know, where... Uh, do the political lines, where, where do they come down as it relates to Trump and his popularity and what the White House is intending to do with these members who uh, are unable to advance the agenda, whether it's the White House's agenda or Paul Ryan's agenda or whatever, you know, who who is he going to get behind? I mean, the rumors have been that he, uh, that the stories North leaked Arizona, about his meeting, Flake. exactly yeah. with Flake's primary opponent. There were she uh, the, was on the ads news, that actually. were-
1: Talking about which I thought, okay, that I don't know if I'd do that. <laughs> the um, the
2: ads that were that were bought and placed uh, against Senator Heller. Heller. I mean, that you know, you're seeing some things uh, that this White House is doing that that previous White Houses would not have done, and so. But you're also seeing a president who, at least for for the majority of those states. Um, you know, is is relatively popular in certain areas, in certain districts, and certainly with the base. Um, you know, obviously, there's it's a little different in Nevada, but um, you know, overall, there are. I think he thinks that he can can make a difference in the electoral map, and so you know, potentially, what we're what we will see is uh, you know the ramifications of, of a vote or a non-vote. Um, you know, will be will be. Uh, assigned to the senators, uh, it may or may not have any impact on the administration.
1: And I would say that with um, President Trump, I think he likes that part of the game more than the policy, right? He'd rather take on and challenge or like we saw today where he had that interview or yesterday when it was with the with the, uh New York Times he even took on his own attorney general. So I don't think he's bashful about that, and I think he likes that more. So that's a danger to some, right?
0: I, I you know, Historically, we're in a new era, as, as Kate suggests, in terms of the politics, but senators have reacted very poorly to the White House meddling <laughs> in their primary campaigns. I mean, that, that tends to go the opposite of the way the White House wants it, to the very limited extent that the White House would get involved. And, and Flake is an interesting case. Kate and I had been had been talking about that. Remember, Flake came to prominence in Arizona as a right-wing radio talk show host. You're not talking about, you know, Dick Luger from Indiana or even Bob Bennett from from Utah who didn't have such well-established conservative identities. They weren't as conservative as, as Flake was. Discrediting Flake, I know he has primary challengers. Nonetheless, discrediting him could be relatively difficult. And beyond Flake and Heller, there's no one for Trump to go after in this cycle.
1: Plus, isn't Flake like a survivalist and he'd like something with <laughs> That's Senator right. Heinrich right. and right. Like, live off the land in a, a one match or something?
2: But the context, um, interestingly enough, that, that Drew and I were having this conversation and was... You know, is there an opportunity for very disillusioned members of the Republican Party to turn against either their party or the administration in in this particular environment? And I would actually throw this question to you, Senator Begich. Um, You know, I see two potentials, and and I think one is becoming less obvious. Um, I think that if Jeff Flake were to leave the Republican Party now with, with unfortunately, where we find ourselves with Senator McCain and his health, that would be a little bit more surprising. But I wonder if there's an opportunity for, uh, for, for Senator Murkowski... To take a step away from the Republican Party at this point, if if this vote goes the way that we think it's going to go, and there are things in it that she certainly cannot agree to or agree with, with Medicaid changes, with Planned Parenthood, does she look at this party and say, I've been elected without them? I can do this on my own?
1: Yeah, I think it's hard for to walk away from the Republican Party. But I do believe that she has shown more on this issue than probably any issue in her career that she's stepping out and she's making a decision on a policy versus politics, which is, you know, if if everyone, you know, we would all hope and politics, that's what people would do at the end of the day. That is not the case all the time. And in this case, she is stepping far beyond where her M.O. has led her in the past. And I think what she has decided on this healthcare bill, and I've seen it back home, I've seen it in D.C., I've seen it on the road, that she has made it very clear that she has fundamental issues, and as you've mentioned, in Medicaid, Planned Parenthood, Alaska Native Community, and some other issues that are about the right policy, and no bill yet has proven to her that it's going to do the right thing. So she may not, quote, leave the party, but she may leave the leadership in the sense of what she will do, which means people like then, as Susan Collins and a couple others, you know, it's always nice, you know, Susan Collins is always kind of goes out there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes she looks around, there's not a lot of people around her. But now to have a couple more people, suddenly, you know, in the Senate, you need two or three and you, you got a cabal. And especially when you have a 52 margin, three become the power, four become the margin, five and six become a big crowd. And I think that's what's starting to happen. Because also people are feeling very good, I believe uh, the policy fi- folks around these issues that Senator Murkowski has taken strong positions, and so that's a difference than in the past. So healthcare, we, we can probably talk about it forever. Uh, I have a feeling we will, um, uh, this has been a great group as always. And from the Brownstein perspective, you know, we continue to, as you, hopefully people who are listening have seen, we have not only four great people here that work on the issues of healthcare. We've got great additional support and folks within our firm and just shows this growing issue, how big it is in the economy, how big and important it is for our clients. And I think today, uh, Hopefully, these nuances uh, give some of the listeners something to chew on a little bit, but also for our clients to understand that um, we're on every every moment here. We're, we're paying attention to what's going on. So, again, thank you all very much for being here. And, again, I have a feeling we will be back at the table. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you for listening
0: to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.